Hello, and welcome to the Waterlog Podcast, where we cover water resources news on Capitol Hill, the Corps, other federal agencies, and current events with a special focus on the coast. Thanks very much to American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today uh, for hosting us. Today's episode will cover the president's recently released budget and the detailed core budget that also came out shortly afterwards. We'll also talk about an NFIP overhaul and coastal risk along the coast. You'll be able to read into some of today's content in our most recent Waterlog e-newsletter, which you can find always on waterlog.net. So let's get into it, Dan. The Mueller report is finally out about Russian collusion and all the related things. And uh, here's what it means for coastal resilience. Nothing. Except now Mr. Trump can go on and formally declare for re-election. And uh, there are at least a dozen uh, Democrats who are already vying for his job. But the president put out his budget. It's called A Budget for Better America. This is similar to Melania Trump's Be Best campaign. This doesn't really make sense. Is this a better budget for America or a slash to coastal programs? So really, is it a better budget? So let's look at some facts. The one thing I wanted to point out first is that nearly 50% of Americans live within 50 miles of the coast. So all of us have access to it, almost all of us, in some way, shape, or form. But it's not all about the beach and the sand. It's really the whole coast and all the things you can do there. Marshes, bays, rivers, streams, and wetlands, which provide boating, sports, and recreation, relaxation. Our waterways provide seafood for our restaurants. And many of these benefits and, and the economic impact that they have uh, just doesn't really get included in the benefits that we really need to support our projects along the coast. Simply put, it's not in our policies. And so if we break it down, the Corps has four accounts to consider its, uh, for its projects. National economic development, regional economic development, environmental quality, and other social effects. But really, the Corps considers the first and ignores the other three. In addition to the economy produced from U.S. citizens, people from all across the globe visit our coast throughout the year, which produces a whopping $7.6 trillion in goods and services. In addition to that, our nation's coastal economy employs roughly one-sixth of our entire population. There are 149,000 ocean-dependent businesses employing 53.6 million people in the United States. You know, Dan, I did a study uh, a few years ago that showed that there's huge federal tax dollars that come from the coastal economy. So there's money that is coming into the general treasury that's going out for various purposes of the federal government. It's not being factored in as a benefit at all, even though it's benefiting you and me, every other taxpayer, citizen, and resident alike. Well, let's take a look at the president's budget request. And you can do that by heading over to waterlog.net. You're going to see a link there to the, president, to the press book, it's called, for the president's budget. And that's because back in the day, the only ones who got the president's budget were the press, you know, were the detailed budget, were the media. Uh, now everybody can get it with the internet. So don't Google the president's budget, though. Go on and get the core budget document, which you can find on waterlog.net. And you'll see the president's earmarks for each study, project, and program. So let's take a look at the budget and the facts in a summary sort of way. The president has proposed to cut the core budget by 31%. That's $2.2 billion from the level that Congress enacted for this current fiscal year. He proposes zero new starts for construction. The flexibility uh, means do-it-yourself. 
he uses the term flexibility in there throughout the budget. If you look at it, and you will see that it means opportunities for non-federals to pay more. When you want to pay more, they're happy to have your money. $150 million for a federal program to identify innovative partnerships to accelerate projects with non-federal interest. You pay, the Corps will build. Great Lakes Restoration Initiative funding is reduced by 90%. Sea Grant, Coastal Zone Management Grants, Community Development Block Grants, zeroed out. I guess they weren't part of a budget for a better America, are they? Overall, the Trump budget proposal predicts a deficit of a trillion dollars, with military spending getting the gains and repayment of interest on the debt, all combined to produce the record-breaking budget deficit. That means more money being spent by the federal government than is coming in in revenues. But the release of the president's budget just marks the beginning of the congressional budget process. Congress has to pass 12 funding bills by September 30th together if they're not vetoed by the president, those bills form the annual spending bill. If Congress doesn't get uh, those bills passed and approved by September 30th, then you know what happens. Either you go into temporary funding measures called continuing resolutions, or the government shuts them. So with regard to the president's budget for the Corps, we have information on waterlog.net uh, but I thought there's some things that we ought to highlight here. One, there is only one study that's coastal. South San Francisco Bay, phase three, $600,000. No construction, nothing at all for coastal. When you get into programs, beneficial uses of dredged material, that program which had $10 million for the current fiscal year has zero in the president's proposal. Budget line item to mitigate shoreline damage that is caused by federal navigation projects got zero. Small shoreline protection projects got zero. All of those things are there and, and, and or not there, I guess is the best way of saying that. And the only good news I can find in that one is that uh, planning assistance to states, which is an important program that we've worked with a lot, Dan, uh, that got $5 million in, in the budget. And I think Congress will increase that. But total right now, we've been tracking these figures since 1995, and the president's uh, figures are the lowest ever, $19,655,000 for shore protection, as Congress refers to the general issue of coastal resilience within the Corps of Engineers, compared to the $175 million that Congress appropriated this year. So a big Big change going on. And I'll there. just point out that that's the president's budget. And R.D. Uh, R.D. James, Assistant Secretary of the Army Civil Works, says that the budget cuts were not his idea. So you take the blame off him for a little for a little while now. Um, hopefully, with the rest of his in administration throughout the FY20 process, we can get a lot of the projects that we've been pushing uh, for finally into the budget. Now, Congress has already begun the work of uh, starting to put together its own 12 bills. And uh, you can follow us on uh, the updates that we send out because we provide information about that. But you can also just look at uh, the House and Senate Appropriations Committee's websites to get information. There was a hearing which R.D. James, you just referred to, Dan, uh, testified before the House uh, Energy and Water Appropriations Subcommittee. But the work has already begun, and uh, let's see how the uh, it comes out in the end. So... With regard to Everglades, though, uh, 
that's an area of concern that uh, we have, and I know you've written about that. Yeah, that's last summer. That's something I was I was covering pretty closely, almost on uh, almost a day to day basis, every other day, uh, and that was mainly covering the devastating algal blooms and the red tide in Florida. Um, if you're a resident of Florida, there's you know, you know about this, and it and it affects you. And as a result of those events, both Florida senators and the state's governor sent a letter to Trump requesting $200 million for the Everglades Restoration Project. For that, they only received $63 million, which is about a quarter of what they had asked for. And that funding is for, well, the solution to exactly what the problem was. The funding is for a reservoir to mitigate downstream effects of nutrient pollution and stormwater overflows, which are exactly what caused uh, the algal blooms and red tides in Florida. Now, on the bright side... Uh, Trump's budget includes $130 million each for deepening and expansion of both the Charleston Harbor and the Savannah Harbor. And this will allow both ports to accommodate the growing number of post-Panamax ships, which are the extremely large ships sailing through the Panama Canal. Um, there's no complaints here about that. We need our goods, and most of, them, most of us want them cheap. Back on the uh, Congress front, the Senate is scheduled, uh, is actually taken up right now. Uh, a post-Florence Michael supplemental disaster bill. House passed that bill back in January. Senate's version, uh, which has been particularly pushed by Senator Isaacson and Purdue of Georgia, uh, who have a substitute for the Senate, uh, for the House bill rather, uh, is a, slow, a slightly lower price, price tag, but senators are struggling to find common ground over additional funding for Puerto Rico and other issues. Uh, Puerto Rico is not necessarily just all disaster aid. It's, uh, it is disaster-caused uh, aid. Medicaid and other programs in Puerto Rico uh, operate uh, differently, and they need to be reauthorized by Congress. And the president has said that he thinks that Puerto Ricans have gotten enough and ought not to get any more. So faced with state and local concerns over delays, Senator McConnell has gone so far to say, look, we can tell every bank, look, this is the month to issue loans. Go ahead and do it. We're going to get this done. And right now, we are expecting the Senate uh, this coming week to be able to act on its version. The bill number to watch is H.R. 268. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there's a bunch of things that are going on in that bill. There's $500 million for climate, climate resiliency. Uh, in communities impacted by hurricanes, $68 million for Medicaid in U.S. territories in the South Pacific, $25 million for U.S. core ecosystem restoration projects. This is the House version of the bill. As I recall, ecosystem restoration uh, is left out of the version being proposed by uh, the two Georgia senators that I just mentioned. There's another $15.5 million for the Energy Department technical assistance related to electric grids and making them more resilient, and uh, equally important, $150 million for the CDBG Disaster Relief Program. Again, we expect the Senate to complete action uh, within the coming week, and we're optimistic that then they'll go and reach agreement with the House fairly quickly. So the Senator McConnell's words about, uh, if you're in need, go to the bank uh, and uh, take out the loan because we got, we got your back. Now moving on to National Flood Insurance Program, your rates are likely going up. FEMA announced March 18th that an overhaul is coming to the National Flood Insurance Program, which will soon be unveiled by the administration. And the, the difference here is that the changes correlate actual flood risk to the property better than the old 1970s model, which simply determined whether a house was inside or outside the 100-year floodplain. 
and these changes are expected to take effect October 2020. So for properties facing uh, property owners facing a price hike, we'll see as little as 5% increase in their policy premiums, but in the riskiest cases, 25% annually. Meaning that until your uh, meaning essentially each year, your premium is going to increase by 25% until the property reaches what's called a full risk rate. To us, that sounds like get out for risky property owners. Now, for uh, property owners in low risk areas, you may see your premiums actually decline. In standard risk zones, price increases are congressionally limited at 18%. Now, the idea behind this uh, is well-intentioned, but not good for local real estate markets and community tax bases. The hope is that increased uh, insurance premiums will, will entice homeowners and businesses to build resilience into their structures. The new model also includes the cost of rebuilding structures into the policy premium. Now, Congress has also set limits on how much FEMA can increase premiums. Now, interestingly, Despite price hikes, the administration uh, actually has a goal of doubling the number of structures, structures covered by the NFIP by 2020. And a lot of these details get a little fuzzy, so if you guys have questions, please feel, uh, feel free to reach out. Moving on to some data that we've gotten recently from USGS. Over $150 billion in coastal real estate is at risk along California, California's coast. And this report is based on sea level rise calculations coupled with storm risk data. And the report highlights that sea level rise paired with high tides and storms can lead to a far higher water line than would be expected without sea level rise. Moody's Investor Service has warned that cities along the coast will need to take action on climate change if they want to maintain their home values and access to cheap credit. We agree. Another report indicates that the current value of 2.4 million at-risk homes along the coast are collectively valued around $912 billion, which is nine times the Corps' entire construction backlog. That's to say we have a lot of work to do to maintain our fun in the sun on or near the coast. The last e-water log we put out cited the First Street Foundation's report on declining appreciation for home values along the coast where $15.8 billion is lost in home values from Maine to Mississippi. And that report can also be found on our website. The New York City Panel on Climate Change also released its 2019 report. So we've got some new bills in Congress. Uh, in addition to the disaster uh, supplemental that we just talked about. Um, there's another bill, uh, H.R. 1666, that amends the National Flood Insurance Act to allow for consideration of private flood insurance for the purposes of applying continuous coverage requirements. It's a good deal of interest in the uh, private sector of getting involved in writing uh, flood insurance and a lot of controversy because of concerns about cherry picking from the private sector. But Congress is back at it and maybe finally we'll come up with some ideas about how to actually reauthorize the National Flood Insurance Program instead of sort of kicking the can down the road. It's up in sixty year. up in sixty-four days, by the way. Sixty-four. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so you got that count a countdown on your website? Countdowns on Waterlog. All right. Uh, i got to watch it for my house. You know, we're in a floodplain here in Washington, D.C. We just don't remember that. I think I'm a little up on a rise, though. So I'm hoping. I don't know about you. Uh, there's another bill, though. The president, as you may recall, uh, tried to propose a, or has proposed a uh, task force, uh, advisory committee or something like that, to basically to challenge uh, the scientific accuracy of climate change. So it's a bill that prevent the use of federal funds. It's called S-729. And then uh, H.R. 1689 and S. 763 
These are both reintroductions of bills from the last Congress to establish a climate change advisory commission to develop recommendations, frameworks, and guidelines for projects to respond to the impacts of climate change. Also issue federal obligations and the proceeds of which will be to used, used rather to fund projects with aid and adaptation to climate change. Funding uh, implementation is obviously a huge issue and it really has not been addressed at any level, local, state, or certainly not the federal level. Uh, another bill, S-745, would establish the position of climate security envoy with the Department of State, who should develop uh, policies to address security concerns with climate change, serves a liaison with other federal agencies and with our international partners on climate security issues. So there's some, you know, I see increased activity in this area on the part of Congress, whether it results in bills passed or not. We're not sure, but if you missed any of the bill information or the other golden nuggets from this podcast, please go to www.waterlog.net and then look for Waterlog Updates. Better yet, subscribe. There's a subscription box right there. It's free. And it's got Coastal Resilience information and insight that you won't find anywhere else. Thanks very much for listening today. And another shout out to the American Shoreline Podcast Network for hosting us. Until next time, thanks very much. Bye.